Dr. Rochelle Walensky, the director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. As always, I feel the need to point this out. We should be calling it the CDCP, right? Because it's the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDCP. I just, I always feel the need to point that out because like, it's just, it's, well, it's annoying to me. Okay. CDCP, the CDC, there I did. I just did it. Okay. They were, she was asked Wednesday morning during a COVID-19 response team briefing to explain what impact expanding vaccination to the kiddos would have on masking in schools. Okay. So if, All the kids from ages 5 to 11, if they can all get vaccinated, will that placate the teachers' union? I'm sorry. Will that mean that we can unmask the babies? Are we going to be allowed to do that? Is this an off-ramp? Here's what Walensky said. You know, after we have authorization from FDA and recommendations from CDC, we will be working to scale up pediatric vaccination. That said, it will take some time. And as I just noted, as we head into these winter months, we know we cannot be complacent. We also know that um, from previous data that that schools that have had masks in place were three and a half times less likely to have school outbreaks requiring school closure. So right now we are going to continue to um, recommend masks in all schools for all um, people in those schools, and we will look forward to scaling up pediatric vaccination during this period of time. Alrighty then. So, the benefits of making all the kids get vaccinated is that the kids will be vaccinated. And then that's it. That's it. Nothing else changes. But they're vaccinated. That's really the key here. Walensky and the CDC have, in the past, according to Matt Welch at Reason.com, misrepresented the data on which they based their global outlier of a recommendation that kids age two and older wear masks in indoor group settings. Yet no other country, like developed country on the face of the planet, does this to their kids. We're the only ones, right? Um, okay. Maybe we're one of the only ones like everybody else is like no masks on the kids because that's stupid. But us, we do that because apparently we are stupid. But what makes the director's comments particularly distressing for some parents is that it offers zero off ramp. There is no numerical set of targets to hit, not even a distant glimmer of light when it comes to the increasingly grim and questionably scientific practice of concealing children's faces at a developmentally critical age. Monica Gandhi of UC San Francisco, she's an infectious disease specialist, and she said, quote, please find a parameter to unmask children. Masks in schools were meant to be a temporary measure. It is good policy and practice to establish off-ramps for interventions that are not meant to be permanent. We should be able to answer what conditions would enable an end. I am a big believer in goals. I am. I was hammering away at Governor Cooper. Give us goals. Give us the metrics by which we will end 
your emergency orders, which, by the way, we are now rapidly approaching day six freaking hundred of being under a declared emergency in this state. We're like day 590. This is nuts. This is insanity. I mean, I will get back because the General Assembly passed their Emergency Management Act fix. And now it's off to the governor where, uh, what is it? Is it a Friday? Yeah, it's okay. Give it a couple hours right before close of business, and I'm sure he'll veto that too. Guy's got like 60-something, I think it's 68 vetoes, 67 vetoes already. Guy has vetoed more legislation than every other governor ever combined. Combined. Well, Pete, WRAL did a fact check on that, and it's kind of misleading to say that because not every governor had the veto authority. It was only in existence for about 40 years. Oh, my bad. Okay. It's still true, though. It's still completely true. Governor Cooper's 67 vetoes is more than the total number of vetoes of all prior governors combined. That is still accurate. It's not mostly false, not partly true. It's 100% true. Hello, Steve. Welcome to the show. What's going on? What do you say there, Pete? Pete oh, I say lots of stuff. I'm kind of a thinking guy. You know, you gather the facts, you mull them over in your head, and you come up with your own opinion and ideas. And I think I just heard you tell me that since the state of North Carolina is basing the the mask mandatory thing on the number of people who turn up positive being tested on a day-to-day basis. I think you just told me that everybody who knows they're negative needs to go test like Democrats vote and do it as many <laughs> times as they can, and we'll be out of this mask thing in no time. I like it. This is, see, Steve, this is really what I was hoping to do with this show, is solve the world's problems. And this is, this is a really good idea. We are all about solutions here. And this one, I think, might be one of the best I've ever heard. So this is what we're all going to do this week, and we should all go to our local clinics and get tested as often as possible. Right, just... Just, yeah, one right after the other. Just go from one clinic to the next to the next and just get keep getting, t- unless, of course, you test positive. Now, if you test positive, stop getting get tested. Right. Yeah, get out of line. You're, yeah, you're yeah. killing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you test negative, then just keep getting tested. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I like it. I like it, Steve. You're doing yeoman's work. I appreciate the call. Um, there is no off-ramp here for these folks. This has always been the problem. And while media that would interview or uh, participate, I should say, in the uh, uh, the press conferences that Governor Cooper, which, by the way, you notice he hasn't done a press conference in quite some time on our COVID briefing, right? He hasn't done one. It's been, I don't know, a couple months. Um, they would always ask him stuff like, you know, when can you lock us down again? Shouldn't we be masking harder? Like stuff like that, right? They, all of their questions along these lines tended to be in that vein. But every now and again, they would be somewhere in the vicinity of a point about, hey, where's the end zone here? And that is a legitimate question to ask. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. The benefits of vaccinating kids is that the kids are going to get vaccinated, and that's really the only benefit. It's not going to lead to... uh, 
mask mandates being lifted, according to uh, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, the director of the CDCP. And um, she says, oh, I'm sorry, this is Harvard Associated Public Health Professor Joseph G. Allen writing in the Washington Post earlier this week said, quote, it is easy to see how schools could sleepwalk into indefinite masking for kids for at least this entire school year. Yeah, I mean, we're almost we're almost to the holiday break here, right? We only got a couple more weeks. So are we just going to stick with the masks all the way through to the end of the year? Why would it change? Oh, and then there's this. I heard uh, Mark Garrison's uh, newscast there. CDC director says right now the CDC's definition of fully vaccinated is unchanged. But, quote, we may need to update our definition of fully vaccinated in the future. What does fully vaccinated mean? It means current with your booster. Where's the off-ramp here, folks? Is it the election? Is it the 2024 election? Is that the off-ramp? Um, as Allen, this is Joseph G. Allen, public health professor from uh, Harvard, in this Washington Post uh, piece, he writes, In highly vaccinated New England, the hospitalization rate right now for kids under 17 is 7 per 10 million. 7 per 10 million. That is not a typo. At the worst of the Delta surge in Florida, the hospitalization rate for this age group for the kids under age 17 was about 1 per 100,000. It has since dropped sharply in that region and is now approaching one per million again. Irresponsible journalistic scaremongering notwithstanding, these numbers accelerated downward as school doors opened this fall. Um, what Walensky's comment, uh, what it does, is it, it actually provides a potential incentive here for parents to vaccinate their kids because what's the point right you're working at cross purposes why would you say this stuff it also reinforces a growing notion that pandemic restrictions are meted out in proportion to the target's political power rather than vulnerability to the disease democratic new york state legislator rachel barnhard referring to a widely circulated photo of the new governor, Kathy Hockel, I think is how she pronounces it. Um, the governor was seen yucking it up with some Buffalo Bills fans without masks on. And when you see, you know, Biden walking out of the restaurant and he's not wearing the mask and you see all the people at the Met Gala and they're not wearing the masks and everybody's like just ignoring the rules, but they're the ones that are telling everybody else to follow the rules. It is time for some off ramps here. Where is the end zone? Matthew Iglesias, hardly a right winger. Okay, Matthew Iglesias, this was one of the founders of Vox.com, V-O-X, Vox.com, along with Ezra Klein. He's now writing on uh, his own Substack. Uh, publication. 
Lefty, okay? Lefty. He says, a year ago, it made sense to think of public health restrictions as emergency steps. They were implemented until vaccines became available. Well, you have vaccines now. That doesn't mean COVID risk is gone, but it does mean we need to think differently. When new information becomes available, we need to think differently. He is exactly right. We have to be able to adjust. He goes on to say, quote, there's no sharp reduction in risk coming around the corner. So it doesn't make sense to think in terms of temporary measures and back to normal in the future. The question is, what should normal be forever? Getting vaccinated and getting regular boosters like with the flu makes a lot more sense as a permanent measure. See, he's on board with the boosters. So do infrastructure upgrades to improve ventilation, for example, these are. Are, are good permanent changes to improve public health. But are colleges with vaccine mandates in place, are they going to keep the mask rules in place forever? If not, why are you keeping them now? What's up? We have an endemic disease. I've been saying this for months. It is endemic now, right? We have to start acting like it. Young kids are not vaccine eligible yet, although now they're saying they're going to start jabbing kids. Like when you send them off to school, by the way, parents... You know, you know, like your kid's going to go to school and like, are you sure that the school's not just going to up and vaccinate him at some point? I'm not. Oh, Pete, that would never happen. No, no, of course not. GovCo would never do something like that. Relevant institutions should make the uh, make this the endpoint for most of their non-vax health measures. Otherwise, there's not much else to wait for. That's what he's talking about. Get vaccinated, lose the masks. And once again... I will cite the study from Waterloo University that showed cloth masks are only good at blocking about 10%. And that's if you wear them tightly sealed around your face. Modest ventilation is as good or better than N95 masks. The cold weather is going to be here soon, I think. I mean, just generally speaking, it shows up at some point. And so start thinking now about donating a coat through us and Charlotte Mechanical. Uh, 704coatdrive.com is the website. You can find any of the uh, the donation barrels. Also, you can make a monetary donation to benefit the Salvation Army of Greater Charlotte online at 704coatdrive.com. We're looking for new coats, like new coats. Gently used coats. Do not give us your old nasty coat. We don't want it. Um, want a new one or a like new one. Um, and uh, like all the kids, right, they outgrow their coats. So like wash them and then uh, drop them off. We appreciate it. 704coatdrive.com. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. Talking about off-ramps. Where are they? Are there any at all uh, for the mask mandates um, or for uh, – it, it's not – I guess you call it like our new normal. Like this is an endemic virus now. It is all over the place. We're going to have to figure out how to live with it and how we're doing it right now. This is not a long-term solution. I, I, I refuse to accept this as the way that we have to live in perpetuity. What do you think? Seven zero four five seven zero eleven ten. Let me go over here to Tara. Welcome to the show. How are you, Tara? Hey, Pete. Hey. I'm great. So two questions. Are we still in the scaremongering for people like my mother-in-law that watch news all day long? Yes, definitely so. Yes. 
Okay. So I want to know when that's going to win and when we get back to, are there any news people that do any real deep diving? I listen to a lot of podcasts, and Mm -hmm. they do deep dives, and they find the truth. And it just seems like our news anchors, and I don't watch the news, my mother-in-law does, they're given a piece of paper, and then they read the teleprompter. Well, yes. Uh, Are you talking about local uh, news? Local, local. And the national stuff, or is it just local? Well, a a little bit of both. Yeah, I mean, the models are very similar, obviously. I mean, it is, and that is the, the evening news model. I'm not a fan. Yeah, I'm not a fan yep. of that model at all. I think it is uh, oftentimes contrived, and it is. Um, uh, I find it to be condescending, and uh, I find it to be infantilizing to the audience. They treat people like they're idiots. Although maybe they have some data that you know, some audience research data that uh, justifies the way they speak down to their audience. But um, that's not for me to say. So I, I, I'm not a fan of what they produce. Generally speaking, now that being said. There are reporters that do good work. I know, for example, uh, in TV world, I would I would say Nick Oxner is one of those people. David Hodges at WBTV. These folks do good work. Um, they just had a, they they had a story today about uh, they went and got a bunch of information on um, salaries at North Carolina DPI administrative level salary increases. So yeah, I mean there are some that do some good work, but. On COVID, you got to understand, like, the model has been for a very, very long time, as it is in all media, which is, if you're not scared, we're not doing our job. And, well, I, yeah, that's I what we're... That, let me say one more thing. Yeah. I don't think anybody would know who our governor was in North Carolina without all this scare. He is loving this. And so is Biden. Because they can't talk about anything else except COVID. So let's look at other diseases people are dying from, and it blows my mind. And they don't do any kind of research on how this is hurting young children. All right, all right. so there's a couple different... Keep keep COVID alive is what I feel they're on. So are you talking specifically about Roy Cooper now? Because Cooper hasn't done a press um, conference. Cooper hasn't done... Yeah, all right, but Cooper hasn't done a press conference in months on COVID. He hasn't done a briefing in a very long time. Now, he definitely enjoyed the benefit of the free coverage every week before his reelection. Yeah, in in 2020, definitely got a ton of earned media. But I will say this, that that is what you make it, right? Like, he could have gotten up there, and if he had done terribly, then uh, that would not have worked out well for him. (laughs) So it's a double-edged sword, right? You you can, or I shouldn't say double-edged. It's a live-by, die-by the sword. He could, it could have gone very wrong for him. It does help that he's a Democrat because he gets the assist from the media. Uh, they don't ask him any difficult questions, or I should say very, 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 very rarely ask him a difficult question. So they don't really challenge him. Questions. Yeah, well, they don't challenge him. And so one of the things, I don't know, maybe you've probably heard me talk about this before. One of the most important pieces of research that I saw during the entire pandemic was a Gallup survey done for Franklin Templeton Financial Advisors where... Uh, they asked people to assess the risk of catching and dying from COVID. And what they found was people who are of the left, they had a wild misperception overestimating the risks of death. They were they thought their chance of catching it and dying from it was like 50%. Are those the people I see in their car by themselves wearing the mask? Yeah, probably. 
they, they're terrified. And then you got people on the other side, though, on the right, they underestimate the risks. See, so there was this misperception. But what that means from a public policy and from a reporting standpoint is that the people in North Carolina that are tasked with holding the governor accountable and asking him difficult questions, they are generally of the left. And the guy answering the question is of the left, too. And if the left has a misperception that the risk is really, really, really great, then what kinds of questions are you getting? What kinds of stories are you getting? It, it created this feedback loop where they just kept feeding each other more and more hysteria. And there wasn't any way to break free of that until basically he went in person uh, for the press conferences. And you actually got uh, AP Dillon from the North State Journal to ask a question. And then it was like, oh, whoa, whoa, we can ask a question here that's not, you know, fear monger. <laughs> I would still like to get some real doctors on board. My dad and sister are both doctors. And, and get the realization of what masks do and do not do. It well, is a, I mean, I wear them when I'm supposed to wear them. Um, I find it to be hilarious when people are wearing these huge masks in the face thing, and they think they are just the safest people in the world, mm-hmm. looking like the Ghostbusters. I'm at the point now, though, with the masks where I'm starting to not wear them uh, out in yeah. public, just because I, like, I'm trying to... It's almost like the zipper merge. I feel like I am trying to coax people into the, the proper and most... Defi- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, this is the way we're going to merge people, so if you don't know how to do it... I'm going to uh, force everybody to zipper merge correctly and everybody will be better off, right? So, like, it's my own little <laughs> tyrannical streak on the zipper merge. But I think the, the what I do with the mask now is, like, when I'm walking through a restaurant on my way out, I won't put it back on. And because I want people to, yeah, I want people to, to see it and get more comfortable seeing more people without the masks because there is a real psychological impact uh, when you see people wearing masks all the time and then you see somebody not wearing it. It's very much like the invasion of the body snatchers, where people start pointing and screaming in that really creepy, high-pitched tone. Okay. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, so I'm going to offer up a trade. I will offer up the North Carolina Secretary of Health and Human Services for Florida's new Surgeon General. It's a straight-up trade, one for one. All right, all right, all right. I'll throw in. I'll throw in our Attorney General Josh Stein too. All right, two for one. Oh, that's a great deal. Come on, you're gonna you're gonna pass up that deal. Come on, Florida. You want two elected or uh, uh, one's an elected official, one's an appointment. Come on. No, probably not. Florida's new Surgeon General, Dr. Joseph Ladapo, or Ladapo, Ladapo, Lapado, Ladapo. Anyway, uh, he went to Harvard, and he uh, did a press conference the other day with the governor, Ron DeSantis, and, uh, well, take a listen and you'll know why I want to offer up this trade. I want you guys to step back for a moment from what you hear sort of constantly on TV. And just very briefly in terms of the data that, uh, that supports 
mask use in kids and mandates for masks in kids, it is very weak, and that's a fact. Oh. But there's a substantial gap between the quality of the data out there supporting masks in kids, yielding any benefit for kids whatsoever, factual, and the what we're hearing from some of our public health leadership in other states and nationally. In Florida, we're going to stay close to the data, and we're going to let you know how we feel about the data. And the data do not support any clinical benefit for children in schools with mask mandates. The highest quality data find no evidence of benefit. And, and, that's how, and we're going to stick with that because that's what the data show. Um, and the other thing I'll just add is that, you know, as a parent, hearing the stories of other parents and what they're going through and seeing other parents around the country, these are impossible situations parents are being put in. Putting a mask, something on the face of your child, is that's a parent's decision. It's not a school's decision. It's not a school board's decision. It's not a governor's decision. It's, it's no one else's decision except for the parent. And parents are being placed in these impossible situations related to the health of their children. Um, I'm here to help support parents in, in voicing how they feel their children should uh, should sort of present, should be in the world, and I'm going to be here to, to help with that, to support that. Yeah, it's interesting, the U.S. Secretary of Education, he, he did like some tweet thread, like it was like a month ago, and he's like, see, follow the data on the mass, and he was citing, he cited a few studies. He cited one study from North Carolina which said forced masking of kids work, but it had no control group because mm -hmm. that was required in every school, so they just said it worked without comparing it against what if you didn't do that and people pointed that out immediately then he cited a study from the university or from uh, Wisconsin about it and the researcher who did the study immediately responded to the tweet and said we found no uh, conclusive evidence on the force masking uh, and then and basically said that you should not use my study to do that right the, the studies that they cite don't prove the things that they say they prove. So what are the risks? What are the risks? There is a fellow by the name of Phil Kirpin, K-E-R-P-E-N, Phil Kirpin. And I uh, highly recommend you follow him. There's also a website, Rational Ground by Justin Hart. And they he quotes Phil Kirpin, but you can follow both of them. And uh, Kirpin has been keeping mortality tables for all of this so let's say you're 49 years old okay if you're 49 there have been just under 4,000 deaths among 49 year olds it is 3,965 so just just shy of 4,000 okay they died of COVID-19 there are about 4.3 million 49-year-olds, okay? That means 0.085% of 49-year-olds have died of COVID. If you're over the age of 65, this is again from Rational Ground by Justin Hart, if you are over the age of 65, he strongly recommends you get a vaccination as there is acute risk to you. Under the age of 45, there is a near zero statistical risk of mortality. Otherwise, your choice, but stay informed. Let me skip ahead here. Uh, yeah, because you got he's got all the tables here. It's uh, well, I won't go through them all, but here we go. How about uh, age group zero to nineteen years old? All right, 
99.997% survival rate. So that is a 0.003% chance of dying. Your risk of dying if you are between the ages of 0 and 19 is uh, 1 out of like 37,000. It is similar to the odds of dying from a sharp object. If you are between the ages of 20 to 29, 99.986 survival rate, similar to the odds of dying from sunstroke. 30 to 39-year-olds, your survival rate is 99.969. That is uh, similar. It's, uh, your chance of dying is 1 in 3,225, similar to the odds of dying from choking on food. If you are... Between the ages of 40 to 49, my age group, our chance of dying is 1 in about 1,200. 99.92% survival rate. This is similar to the odds of dying from drowning. 50 to 59-year-olds, your rate is 99.73%. Survival rate, your odds of dying are 1 in 369 That is similar to the odds of dying in a pedestrian accident. If you are between the ages of 60 to 69, your survival rate is 99.4%. Your odds of dying from COVID, 1 in 168, similar to the odds of dying in a car crash. And if you are over the age of 70, your survival rate is 97%. 0.6% or odds of dying 1 in 41. So if you got 41 people over the age of 70, one of them is going to die of COVID. That is similar to the odds of dying of chronic respiratory disease. Those are the actual risk assessment numbers. So you can find these tables You can do your own risk assessment. Obviously, this is for healthy people. This does not take into into account your specific comorbidities because, of course, how would we know that, right? How would the the table makers know your specific medical history? Um, that's, That's more important for people to understand your risk profile. Right, your individual risk profile, but but based largely on your age group. And if you are a healthy person in these various age groups, you should know what the chances of dying from COVID actually are. And there they are. You can find them. It's at rationalground.com. News is next.